Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Aaron K. Balabini George Clensos Stephanie Sawyer Ryan Levy P.G. Holyfield Kitty McKeon With original music by Danny Shade This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now... Episode 26 Hello, this is Miss Kalendar from the Brass Needles Podcast. You're listening to Predestination, and this is the story so far. When Joss Kyle met Percy Scott, there was something familiar about him. Something that he took weeks trying to place. It stuck with him like a crumb in the back of his throat, and it's one he's never been able to dissolve. Of course, that's not what's on his mind now. Last night he met with Mondu, one of his employees and an old friend from his days on the run. Mondu agreed to stalk a fugitive for an escape, including a full inventory of drugs and weaponized hormones. He also spent a goodly amount of time wrestling with Cassie before finding out that this morning she intends to sell him out. He's prepared to make a run for his life. All he needs is the right opportunity. And now, the climax of predestination and other games of chance. Fugitive's readout on his PPD showed the jet fuel fully loaded, the reactor temperature and coolant levels nominal. All systems set for launch. When Joss joined the conference in Phalanx, he was far more relaxed than any man in his position had a right to be. He had to remind himself to play a tense man, pretending to play it cool. So? Joss settled uncomfortably into his seat at the head of the table. It was an intentional ploy. Everyone else was in booth seats while he was in a chair. It gave him at least five seconds of run on anyone at the table. And technically, he was hosting this little soiree. We have a problem. Reeves nodded. Yes. What are we going to do about it? Reeves pondered for a moment. We're going back to Luna to see what we can find out. Until then. He shifted his eyes to Alyssa, and then back to Joss. Reuben Briggs, under the authority of the Lunar Constitutional Charter, ratified by the Board of Directors. Don't be ridiculous, Douglas. I'm placing you under arrest on suspicion of espionage and terrorism. The frame must be really damn good. It had Cassie fooled, it had Reeves fooled, but it was too soon. He needed more time for Mondu to give him the all-clear. The moment he made a break for it, they would lock down the station. The only chance he had was to get to Fugitive before they put together that it was his bird, and that was partly down to Cassie. She must have seen his notes on her refit last night when she was in his system. He had to play for time, find some clue about who set him up. Fine, I'm under arrest. You're not going to get flight clearance for another two hours, so let's have a drink and you can interrogate me in a civilized manner. And my name is Joss Kyle. Alyssa stood up and circled behind him, dripping her malice onto him. Get up, you piece of shit. Sit down and have a drink, Alyssa. Posturing isn't going to change anything. Reeves nodded at Alyssa. So, what's your case, Your Honor? You're not your own jury. You came here for a reason. 
He could have arrested me at a distance or sent these two flunkies to fetch me. You didn't have to come. Reeves shook his head. Humor me. You got nothing to lose. Cassie shifted uncomfortably in her seat. If he knew her, which he had to admit to himself he probably didn't, she was gloating over her victory just about now. She looked from Joss to Reeves and back to Joss and seemed to make a decision. If you're taking these good folks back to Luna City, they deserve to know why, Groundhog. Whatever he'd been expecting, it wasn't that. Whose side are you on, Cassie? Doug knew a chess fork when he saw one. Cassiopeia had her choice of king or joker, and she kept shifting sides to make sure that both he and Briggs were constantly in her sights. But what she was asking didn't cost anything. Everything he'd need to tell them was as near as damn it to public record already. The terrorist attacks throughout the colonies these last few months have torpedoed the plan for Luna to break away from its sponsor governments. And now the board is getting ready to vote down the Free Skies Treaty. Word in the boardroom is that if we don't find out who's doing it, we're looking at martial law throughout the colonies. Wait a minute. Reeves ignored Briggs' interruption, steamrolling right over him. These attacks aren't random. This is a well-moneyed, organized campaign. You've got a lot of money flowing through this place, Briggs. We've got a trail of transfer receipts flowing in here from a Persian operative on Luna. And out of here, to people near the attacks. All at the right time, all in the right place. It's all over your personal accounts, too. Briggs nodded. All's fair, eh? You played it well, Cass. Cassiopeia blanched. Briggs turned his attention back on Doug. You're forgetting, Reeves. We were hit here, too. People have done crazier things for cover. Joss chewed over the next play. There was something here, something he needed. That crumb in the back of his throat was still tickling, and he was about ready to choke on it. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Mondu walk into the bar and back to the office. Everything was ready. Alphonse, bring us around to the same from yesterday and give me a stout chaser. The bartender nodded and started pulling the drinks. Joss returned his attention to the game table. Somebody's pulling your prick, Reeves. There isn't going to be any martial law decree. The U.S. doesn't have the money to lift enough troops to make it work. <laughs> You're chasing a phantom. The drinks arrived. Joss lifted his scotch to his nose, letting the fumes burn his nostrils. It was his incense before the battle. He took a swig, draining nearly the whole thing in one go, drinking more like Cassie than he ever thought he would. He mulled it over for a moment and then set the glass down. You say they started months ago? They've only been hitting the news for three weeks. The attack on Sidon was the first one. There were four others the same day on other stations. They managed to keep it out of the news. Sidon? My goddaughter. Her husband was killed, and she was assaulted to make a political statement. Your... your goddaughter? Reeves hesitated before he answered. Marion Shelley. Marion Shelley? Bill Shelley's daughter? Joss saw a picture in his mind, something he'd seen during his time at the CIA. In Bill Shelley's file, there was a photo. Formal. Yes, a wedding photo. There. The groom. His face younger, but not much younger. What was his name? Percy Scott. Percy Scott was Scott Walters. Joss smiled. Warmth spread over him like a hot shower. It always did when the last piece fell into place. 
the crumb in his throat washed down in the draft of satisfaction. Now he knew who had set him up. It was Bill and his pet operative. The path ahead was clear. Where exactly it led? Well, he had a bit of time to get used to that. Joss drained the last drop from his whiskey glass. He let it sit on his tongue while it burned. The good stuff. The last he'd have for... Maybe forever. Dark... Complex, thick, and endlessly fascinating. In every way that mattered, it did taste like Cassie. She was the one whole card he didn't have to worry about anymore. Even with the evidence she thought she found on his console, planted by Scott during the bombing? Probably. The office computer shared a link with the home console. She hadn't told Reeves about the bugs and phalanx or the arsenal he wore or any one of a dozen other things she knew that could hamstring him. He stood up. Now, if you'll excuse me a moment, I have to hit the head. He saw Reeves nod to Cassie and Alyssa, and they both followed him. He couldn't let them actually corner him in the head. There wasn't any way out but the front door. With the two most dangerous women he'd ever known walking just over a leg's length behind him, Joss turned left into the restroom, making sure to latch the door. In the two seconds he had to spare while they worked the handle, he ducked into the hollow behind it next to the rubbish bin. Cassie was the first through the door. When she passed into his field of vision, he counted to two and pushed against the door with all his might. The fullerene composite hit Alyssa hard and she lurched to the side. Cassie whirled around, coming nose to barrel with Joss's sig. The man from Earth kicked the door again, knocking Alyssa back again, this time clear of the door. He stepped forward and kicked her in the face, feeling her nose crunch between his boot and her skull. His eyes never left Cassie for more than a split second, but it was quick enough for her to pull her thermal from its quick-draw holster. Drop it, Josh. Alyssa sobbed softly on the ground on his left, trying to make sense of the world through the storm of white electricity around the buckling cartilage in her face. Joss swept his foot out and kicked Alyssa's gun under the cubicle wall into one of the sanitary stalls. I said drop it! Joss looked into her eyes and nodded to her. A salute between warriors. He squeezed the trigger on his sig. The report boxed his ears. He heard Alyssa scream with rage next to him on the ground as she tried to find her feet again. Cassie staggered backwards, the 10mm slug blowing apart the bones in her right shoulder, sending fragments spraying in every direction like detritus from a butcher's saw. For a moment, he didn't move. He looked down at her and, try as he might, failed to find anything useful to say. He had to go, and it had to be now. Get that scene too, Cass. Goodbye. Joss left both women bleeding and howling on the ground and dashed out the door. He took a left to go back through the kitchen and out the rear. The second he hit ground clear enough to do so, he ran. Allie, ears ringing like they'd been ice-picked, grabbed the lip of a urinal and pulled herself to her feet. She took three steps to make sure of her balance, then stepped around the stall and retrieved her thermal. That son of a bitch had slipped her grip for the last time. She didn't care how much blood she left on the deck. She didn't care how many bodies it took. Reeves had said they might need to disappear him, so let him fucking disappear. She gave the red-headed merc a cursory glance as she stepped over her body. 
No immediate danger of dying, which meant Reeves couldn't charge Allie as an accessory. She turned her back on the bitch and ran out the door, ignoring the blood streaming down her face and the throbbing numbness that obscured her vision once every heartbeat. Briggs would want to get off station, and fast. There was only one place to go. Up. She was the angel of vengeance. Now it was time to shine. When the fox chases the rabbit, the rabbit will win. The fox runs only for his lunch. The rabbit runs for his life. The corridors of Nineveh fell away as he passed like long dead trees. The last of his volition lay next to Cassie on the floor in Phalanx's bathroom. This rabbit ran on pure instinct. Now back in the familiar, he was prey. He felt the fox's breath on his neck as he stepped into the lift. A broken nose wouldn't slow her down for more than a minute, two if he was lucky. Alyssa couldn't be far behind. As the doors slid shut, he saw her coming into view around the bend from Phalanx. She caught his eye just before the lift pushed him hard towards the station's central bore where he'd make the last dash for his life in one-tenth G. Joss silently thanked the godless universe that he'd secured the docking space. He pulled out his link and called his ship. Fugitive. Voice print authorization. Runner 1. Clear all moorings and file flight plan. Docking cr- Docking clearance request for... He looked at his watch. 10.25. Disengage forward docking claps. Open inner and outer main airlock hatches. Begin launch sequence. Unless there was a backup in port traffic, he'd have about seven minutes from the time he hit the docking ring to the time he had to be sitting behind the controls on his bridge. He should have taken time to drill himself better. Docking control flight plan authorization confirmed. Beginning launch sequence. It's all a go. All he had to do was maintain his lead. Allie would be in the other express lift. He'd have a couple dozen meters on her. He took the few valuable seconds to pump up the oxygen in his blood, heaving heavily, deliberately, hyperoxygenating his muscles before the last dash. The trick saved his life in the Falklands. Maybe Lady Luck would smile on him and let him hold the edge one more time. He leaned against the glass, heaving as heavily as he dared, looking down at the green belt retreating below him. It was a long way down now. Joss turned his head to look at the level indicator as the lift zipped by the office-filled floors here at the extreme anterior of the green belt. Only three decks to go. Jim slipped through the elevator doors just before they sealed Allie in. What the hell are you doing here? There was plenty of cleanup for him to do back in Phalanx. This squirrel's no slouch. He nearly killed both of us last time, so... He drew his glock and primed the chamber. I figured you could use some backup. Are you okay? She pulled the hem of her tunic up to her face and mopped the blood off. The flow was slowing to a trickle as she held the bridge of her nose to help with the clotting. Yeah, fine, fine. God damn it. She knew he was right, but he wasn't going to snatch her atonement from her. Not if the Virgin Mary herself appeared and told her to let him do it. She lost Briggs the first time. This time, she was going to catch him. No matter what. Fine, but I'm taking point. This fucker's mine. That's where you're best. Jim holstered his weapon and dug his left hand into his coat pocket. Toss me the warrant card. She slipped her hand into her hip pocket and retrieved the card Doug gave them. In case an emergency arises, he said. 
Well, this counted, if anything did. She tossed it to Jim and tried to crane her neck up to see across the pylon to her quarry, but she couldn't get the angle. Yes, this is Jim Hartman serving warrant number 84635972. Yes, it's been logged and verified. I need all outbound traffic help for... Yes, two hours should be fine. Suspect calls himself Joss Kyle. Yes, I understand. Thank you. He punched the terminate button and tossed the card back to Allie. For lucky he didn't book his ship under an assumed name. Yeah, that's likely. The numbers on the display above the door scrolled past like an encryption cracking algorithm as they rocketed up towards the center of the station. Twenty levels yet to go. Allie leaned her head against the glass and let the vibrations sing the edge off her rage. Once the doors opened, everything would flow. She'd hear the music of Briggs cursing her as she shot out his kneecaps and dragged him back to Reeves. She'd be on Briggs' tail and down his throat in nothing flat. The lift vibrated as she heard Jim counting. Glancing over, she caught him jumping up and down, getting his blood up. She took a deep breath and threw her leg onto the handrail, giving it a good stretch. Are you ready? Jim's voice was muffled by her arms covering her ears as she stretched her Achilles tendon. Just about. She swung her leg down and drew her gun. You? Yep. Jim grabbed the handrail as the lift acceleration slowed, and Allie felt the weight lift off her feet. Balance would be a problem. He's all yours. The lift bell rang. The doors slid open. Joss stepped off the lift and made his way towards the docking bay, only 150 meters directly in front of him, trying not to appear panicked. The fear, adrenaline, and low gravity all converged on his stomach, and he thought he was going to puke. His stomach would have to wait. He sailed 15 to 20 meters with every stride. All he had to do was get through the choke point where the departing foot traffic jogged around the massive customs inflow, take a ride at security for the outgoing commercials, and slip into the private docks. He hazarded a quick glance back when he hit the choke point, just before he rounded the bend. Shit! There, just stepping off the lift, Alyssa Hartman. She spotted him as soon as she stepped off. Her gun was up before he broke eye contact. It was a long shot, nearly a hundred meters. There was no way she could hit him with a handgun at that range, but Joss ducked anyway. He instinctively broke into an all-out run for his ship. He felt the heat glaze his back as the shot from her thermal struck the walls above him. Plowing through the masses of people crowded around the handrails, trying to keep their feet, he could hear both Hartmans yelling at the pedestrians to hit the deck. They wanted a clear shot. Joss didn't give it to them. He ducked behind every live body he could. Then, as soon as he was around the bend, he leapt up onto the shoulders of the people queuing up for security. At one-tenth G, he weighed less than a kilo, and he pussyfooted across heads, giving no one more than a soft bonk as he passed. He didn't have more than 30 seconds on them. Joss got to the end of the security queue and leapt right, stealing a glance behind him in time to see Jim, running a meter or two behind Allie, miss his footing on someone's shoulder and fall into a long sprawl face first on the deck. One down, the deadlier one to go, no more than three strides behind now. There was no point in reaching back for his gun. He'd never get a clear shot. On the other hand, when he rounded the last corner into the docking bay, she'd have 50 meters of open field. He had to cover it before she could get her gun up. 
He could nearly feel her breath on his neck. Joss's feet pounded the deck harder, pulling all the extra length he could out of his stride. The door to Bay 5 was open, and he bounded up against the wall opposite it and pushed off, diving through the doorway, rolling when he hit the ground and coming up into another great jump. On the far side of the bay windows, Fugitive stretched her wings before him like a glorious psychopomp. He heard Alyssa's hard boot heels crashing brightly against the deck as she rounded the corner. For a moment, he thought he wasn't going to make it. She had a clear shot. He risked one more glance back. She was flying up and down like a drugged-out toad. She couldn't shoot without standing still. Looking forward again, Fugitive's airlock stood gloriously open like a womb, welcoming back a child born too soon. His boots hit the ramp, and he took one final bound through the open hatch, glided through the airlock, and hit the wall in the passageway on the far side. Joss bounced back and punched the switch for the internal air door. It rolled shut. But through the window, he saw Alyssa still coming. I don't have time for this. Computer, close out her hatch. No way you get away now, you son of a bitch. Allie saw the internal hatch closed and took one last jump, hoping to hell she made it before he shut her out and got away. She hit the far door hard and scrambled to her feet. Unauthorized entry attempt, airlock one. Fugitive's AI. Ever the helpful little grinder monkey. Fucking voice interfaces. Yes, thank you. I can hear her pounding. Discontinue warnings and keep that airlock shut. Get me CNC. Joss swung as fast as he could along the corridor. He had to clear moorings before CNC turned on the electromagnets to lock him down if they hadn't already. Computer, clear the airway door. Airway door locked by station control. Joss burst through the door to the bridge, vaulted into the pilot's seat, and strapped in. The radio crackled to life as he fixed his headset. Nineveh Road Docking Command and Control. Nineveh, this is Fugitive. What's my departure priority? Fugitive, this is Nineveh CNC. Negative on departure priority. Flight clearance has been rescinded by priority warrant. You are ordered to disembark and surrender your weapon. Joss punched the kill switch on the comm unit. Like hell. He looked blankly at the control panel for a moment, trying to remember what everything was. If he blasted away without that air door closing, the suction would pull the hatch off his ship like a cheap tumbler lock. Somewhere there was an explosive... There. Emergency moorings clearing. Joss punched it and the ship shook as four sequential charges fired around the external hatch, breaking the seal. The outrush of air from the station started Fugitive listing to starboard. Joss got his right hand on the throttle and his left hand on the stick. He pushed hard to starboard on the stick and shoved the throttle forward. Fugitive's belly thrusters fired and pushed her away from the station, out of range of the docking magnets. He was clear. Airlock 1, structural integrity failing. The hell? Joss punched the airlock camera up on the screen. Alyssa had her thermal pressed up against the breach point, firing it every few seconds. Ah, shit. Joss rolled the ship so the dorsal pointed roughly in the direction of Earth and set the acceleration for 1G. The engines kicked on like a motorcycle catching on a cold morning. That's a little rough. Have a look at the injector valves next time you're in port, Joss. On the screen... Alyssa fell flat under the sudden thrust. Computer, do we have chloroform on board? Affirmative. Is any of it hooked to the vents? 
Affirmative. Mondu, you're a marvel. Now, where are you? Yes. Joss found his way through the menu tree on his console screen, armed the chloroform, and pumped it into the airlock. On the monitor, just as she finished reloading her weapon, Alyssa collapsed to the deck. Joss took care of his last post-launch housekeeping, finishing up his pre-flight checklist a little behind schedule, and setting a proper course. Then he unclasped his harness, stood, and walked along the decks of his ship, descending the two levels to the airlock. He stopped in the armory on the way and grabbed a few vials. Oxytocin? You'd need some of that. Excellent tool for aiding negotiations and keeping adversaries as friendly as possible. He'd need some proper sedatives, too. Ketamine would put her out for a good long while. He slung the injection gun over his shoulder and headed down to the airlock. He'd need a few hours to get situated before he could deal with her properly. No, 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 no! Jim rounded the corner just in time to see Fugitive's outer hatch slide shut. The deafening clang reverberated through the bay like the bootfall of a stormtrooper. Station security would hold her there. He just had to stand here and wait. He kept his weapon at the ready. Either security would lock the ship down or Allie would capture Joss before he... The shockwave knocked him off his feet. Without any substantial gravity to keep him down, the blast of air that pushed its way out of the airlock swept him along with it. He tossed his gun away and grasped vainly for the ground, at the air, at anything he could reach, but there weren't any handles he could grab. He slid, inch by inch, inexorably towards the yawning door emptying the atmosphere into space. Above the din and rushing, he vaguely heard the sound of klaxons. Explosive decompression detected. Docking section B, berth 5. Emergency containment in progress. Please hold securely to the nearest handrail until the crisis is over. He looked up towards the door leading back into the terminal as it slipped away. Another couple of seconds and he'd float quietly through the door, and the way his luck was running, he'd bounce before he hit it, flying through in the center, too far out from the edges to grab anything. But he'd be able to find Allie. Jim closed his eyes and waited for the inevitable. After a good ten seconds passed, he realized he was still drawing breath. The wind about him slowed, its whistling pitching sharper as it faded. He couldn't feel the polished deck skidding away below him. He chanced opening an eye. The docking bay still encircled him. Glorious metal and plastic and rubber and fullerene as far as his eyes could see. He looked down at his feet to see the emergency bulkhead closed across the opening, not two meters away. Jim drew the air into his lungs and held it. He savored it, treasured it, as if it were a child suddenly coming home after being stolen from her crib long ago. Then, as he let the breath go, he remembered Allie. He scrambled to his feet, tumbling ass over tea kettle as his arms flailed widely any time he tried to find the ground. By the time he righted himself, he already knew it was too late. There she was, out the giant fullerene windows, a black bird against a black sky, only her torch standing out in the distance now, the rest of her swallowed up against the black curtain of stars. 
fugitive was gone. Allie was on board, and there was nothing he could do. You've been listening to episode 26 of Antithesis, book one, Predestination, and other games of chance. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. This episode starred Stephanie Sawyer as Cassie Orenthal, Aaron Balabanian as Alyssa Hartman, Brian Levy as Jim, George Klensos as Douglas Reeves, P.G. Holyfield as the docking control officer, and Kitty Nakian as the computer and the spaceport announcer. Some sounds courtesy of the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2008 and 2009, Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 1997 and 2008, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009, Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Fans of mystery and fantasy agree. Murder at Avedon Hill fucking rocks. Mark Yoshimoto Nemkov, author of the Parsec Award-winning Number One with a Bullet, says, With Murder at Avedon Hill, P.G. Holyfield creates a mysterious world full of twists and creatures worth diving into. Head first. T. Morris, creator of the Billabub Baddings Mysteries, notes, P.G. Holyfield creates a realm rich in its culture and lore and then shatters its sweet innocence with a murder that begs to be solved. Seth Harwood, author of the Jack Palms crime series, says, P.G. Holyfield is one of the best podcast fiction writers out here. Listen to this book, and you'll never turn back. A story of fantasy and mystery, of magic and spirit, which author Scott Roche says owes as much to Agatha Christie as to J.R.R. Tolkien. Subscribe now at iTunes, through podiobooks.com, or through the podcast website at pgholyfield.com. A killer is afoot. Divine powers walk across Cairn. And for the town of Avedon Hill, a battle hundreds of years in the making is coming to a head. Stop on by. You won't want to miss it when the children come out to play. Jim isn't a happy camper. Then again, neither is Joss. Looks like the whole thing just turned into a grade-A clusterfuck. Or has it? We still don't know what Doug's endgame is, and Joss evidently has a new agenda. Guess you'll have to wait another few hours to find that all out. Later tonight, you'll get the finale, and since there's some special stuff for the end of that one, I'm not going to be doing my normal post-show there, just the credits. So this is the final post-show, and keep your ears peeled, there's some important news here. For example, there will be one more pub crawl, just for predestination. I'm hooking up with Scott Sigler and Seth Harwood again for this one, and it's multi-parted, so grab a pen and paper. On Friday, May 8th, we'll start off at the Apple Store in San Francisco at 6pm, where Seth is giving a talk on podcasting and guerrilla marketing. After that, we'll be tromping down the block to a signing he's doing at Books Incorporated at 7.30. Once that's done, we're off to a local bar where we'll get dinners and drinks and spend some time being generally disreputable. We haven't decided on the bar yet, so you will have to meet us at Books Incorporated if you want to find us. Join us! Or die! Oh, wait, sorry. 
I, I just got myself confused with Darth Vader for a moment. Anyway, if you haven't caught it and are interested, my essay, As the Gods Themselves, about science fiction, religion, and the advance of technology, is now up on the Sci-Fi Journal at www.scifijournal.com, where Fi is spelled P-H-I. There's also a post for it on the blog at jdsawyer.net. My story for Erotica a la carte, called Buried Alive in the Blues, is also up. Give it a listen. You may just enjoy it, but it's definitely not for kids. Over the next week, I'll be remixing the first four episodes of Predestination to get it ready for Patio Books release. Those of you who want a version of the book without the post-show banter for your archives, you'll be able to find it there soon. Stay subscribed to this feed. There will be updates on that subject as well as several others. Also, stay subscribed for more special features. There will be another dealing in in which we announce the winner of the What the Hell is Senator Shelley Up To contest, and I answer your feedback and thoughts about the end of the book. T. Morris will also be hosting an exit interview and post-show roast where there may be an opportunity for real-time live listener interaction. Not quite sure about that part yet, but I'll definitely keep you posted. And, of course, there will be short teasers for Down From Ten and for Free Will. So keep your ears peeled throughout May. Those of you in the Bay Area, I'll be at Baycon this Memorial Day weekend. If you're planning to go, drop me a line and we can set up a time for us to meet in the bar and hang out for a while. This summer, there will be a soundtrack album available for sale on iTunes. Proceeds go to Danny Shade, who composed the music basically for free. Enough of you have expressed interest that he and I will be working on whipping the soundtrack into album shape, and I'm writing a single for it as well. I'll keep you posted about that as the project develops. And finally, in the swag department, I'm thinking of printing up some posters of the cover art. If any of you would be interested in a signed poster with the original Predestination cover art, let me know. If we get enough interest, I'll put up a site for pre-orders to pay for the print run, and I'll send each of you that orders a signed and numbered poster. Email me at dan at jdsawyer.net, even if you've already responded on Twitter, and tell me if you're in. There'll be 12 bucks a piece. I still have to figure out shipping. If we can get 35 people or more up for it... That'll be enough for me to break even on the print run. Let me know. Could be a killer Memorial Day present. Please keep those comments and reviews coming. iTunes, Podcast Alley, Podcast Pickle, Blueberry, every little bit helps. And as always, you can leave questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats at dan at jdsawyer.com or on the blog at antithesis.jdsawyer.net. You can call and leave voicemail at area code 206-350-5739. And please, now that we're at the end, don't stop spreading the word. If you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, post a link, give away MP3s, and pelt your enemies with CD copies of the first few episodes to get people hooked. And convention season is coming up, so you could also print out a bunch of CDs and leave them on the convention swag table. Spread the word all over. This is, after all, the end of only the first book of the Antithesis Progression. There are four more coming. And the more of you there are, the more fun I have. You guys have been fabulous. I can't wait till you hear the end in just a few hours. And now, to the end. What new allegiances will spring from this disaster? What is Doug's endgame? 
What is Joss going to do with Allie, and how will that affect his plans? And what did Volish do to Percy, anyhow? Find out now in the final episode of Predestination and Other Games of Chance. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game.